How exciting is it to be part of the body of Christ? Amen. Is it? Doesn't that get you excited? But I also want to remind you that you were once broken. We tend to look down our noses sometimes now that we're born again and we walk with the Lord at the people that are still lost to the world. This is a time of year when Jesus showed the, the, the greatest selfless act ever, that he laid down his life for all of us. Not just us here, but everybody out throughout the world. And we've got to remember this time of year that this is our opportunity to sow that selflessness into the world. To share that example to him, that, to them that don't know. Yes. It's easier said than done, but that's what we're called to do. So I want to encourage you during this Christmas season to take that mantle up, take that every day of this year and every day make that New Year's resolution. Every day do some random act of kindness. Something that somebody can't do for themselves. Maybe a kind word, just a reminder of how much God loves us. Because when we do that, the love of God flows into us and reminds how much He loves us. Amen? Amen. This morning we're in Luke chapter 1. We're starting at verse 57. So if you turn there with me. The birth of John the Baptist. Now Elizabeth full time had came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives had heard the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have him called by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who are called by this name. So they made signs to his father, and what he would have him called. And he asked him for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, to the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness, righteousness before him, and all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest." For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of his salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which that day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, so that the child grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the desert, Till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Ooh. Are you guys ready for that? You know Pastor Jackie's going to bring him because this is a man anointed with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father God, we are just so thankful. Jesus, that you would come. That you would lay down your life to, for a sinner like myself. For a sinner like each one of us out here, Lord. Lord, help us to remember what you have done for us and help us to share that with others, Lord. May that, may that unconditional love just pour from us. Let our cups be overflowing, Lord. In whatever capacity, whatever situation, be it word, be it in action, or in prayer, Lord. But let your saints gather together, Lord, as we prepare for your coming, Lord. We are thankful for this time, Lord, in your word. We pray that you would give us hearts to hear, eyes to see. And understanding that 
only you can give, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Man, God's so good, isn't he? Well, as we take a look at what the Lord has for us this morning, we consider this time coming into the crazy season. And it always reminds me this time, especially this time, just prior to Christmas, reminds me of of John the Baptist. That's uh, that's where it all began. And here's where we lose sight sometimes. We we forget that God was moving and working through this nation, the nation of Israel. You can read all about it throughout the Old Testament. On Wednesday nights, we study all the way through. Um, we're in Psalms right now, so we've gone through all the histories. And as we, as we lay it all out, we see God moving and God working and God calling His people and trying to do things with them. But there came a point, there came a time when God stopped talking. 400 years. He was quiet. No prophet spoke. Nobody had a word from the Lord. In fact, the last thing that God told us, we can read about in Malachi chapter 4. In Malachi chapter 4, it says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud and all who do wickedly will, will be stubble. And the day which is coming will burn them up. God's speaking of that judgment day. Judgment day coming, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Everything will be gone. And then he has this, this word of contrast in verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. God's final word is, man, there's judgment day coming, and all the wicked are going to be burned up like stubble. But for those of you who fear my name, who, who walk before me, the Son of Righteousness is coming. And he has healing in his wings. Anybody need that today? So we want to experience this thing that the Lord is laying out for us. He says, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. And you will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, as the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Remember, remember the law that I've given you. It's God's leading up to the point that He's going to stop talking. I've been talking to you guys for a long time, and I've told you what's required of you, and I've laid all these things out, and I've sent my prophets. So I'm about ready to sign off. Before I sign off, I just want you to remember the law and the statutes. What was that? That was the the requirement that God had under the law, and it was the sacrificial system by which a man could be made righteous. It doesn't just say, remember the law. It says, remember the law and the statutes. The statutes is that which was given so that they could have a right relationship with God coming before Him with the shedding of blood. Remember, He said, remember. And then He goes on, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's what he started with, the day of fire, when, when all the wicked are burned up like stubble. Before that day comes, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send Elijah. Now, they all know the story of Elijah, right? Elijah was taken up into heaven by a fiery chariot. He never died. God said, I'm going to send him back before that day. For what purpose? That he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then God stopped talking. People would go into the temple, and they were used to coming into the temple and bringing their offering. And and, and as they lay out that offering there in the Holy of Holies, the priest would take the blood and sprinkle it. And he was used to seeing the Shekinah, the Kabod, the glory of God, light up that inner sanctuary. The the, the, The high priest would see it. God wasn't there. And so they start to do their offerings and their sacrifices, but but the light's not there anymore. The presence of God's not in that place. They turn and look for someone to tell us what's going on, what God wants, what God desires. And God says, I have told you, I'm done speaking. And he waited 400 years 
Now I just want you to kind of get a, 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 a glimpse of what's going on during those 400 years with no further word from God. It was about 435 B.C. when Malachi ceased his writing. We see a shift from the power of Babylon in the east to the power of the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire takes over. We, we see it talked about in Daniel chapter 7 as Daniel alludes prophetically to what's going to happen in the world in that time. At the height of the Persian power, there arose in the country of Macedonia, north of the Black Sea, a guy named Philip of Macedon. Oh, come on. You guys know who that is, right? That's the guy who united all Greek. He had a son that's really famous. Alexander the Great. So now we see power shifting from the Medo-Persian Empire as Alexander the Great comes through and Alexander conquers the, the known world, right? He, he takes everybody down. When he's in his 20s, when he's in his 20s, he's on his way uh, to, to, to Egypt. And on his way by Egypt, he's going to go to Jerusalem. And Josephus uh, writes this for us. It says, on the way, he planned to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, so as the victorious armies of the Greeks approached the city, word was brought by the Jews in Jerusalem that the armies were on their way. So the high priest at that time, a guy named Jadua, Jadua, the high priest, uh, he's mentioned in the book of Nehemiah, he took the sacred writings of Daniel the prophet, and accompanied by a, a load of other priests dressed in white garments, he went forth to meet Alexander. Josephus tells us, that Alexander left his army and hurried to meet the priests because he had had a dream that an old man dressed in white had a special word for him. So he rushed out to meet Jedua, and Jedua the high priest showed him the, the book of Daniel and he pointed to the prophetic word that Daniel had written hundreds of years earlier and he said, This is you, Alexander. This character in Scripture is you. And Alexander was so blown away that he bypassed Jerusalem. And he continued conquering, but he never conquered the city of Jerusalem. But in 323 B.C., Alexander died. In a drunken fit, because there was no more lands to conquer, no no more places to go. After Some time after Alexander dies, his four generals divide the kingdom. They divide the kingdom according to the compass. Another thing that Daniel told us in Daniel chapter 11 that would that would take place. Two of them are important to us biblically. One is Ptolemy, who gained Egypt in the North African countries, and the other was Seleucus, who gained Syria to the north of Palestine. So during that time, Palestine was annexed by Egypt. They suffered under the hands of Ptolemy. Never again are they going to have their own kingdom, where they're not under the control of somebody else. Now they're under Ptolemy. In fact, if you read the prophecies of Daniel, recall that Daniel was able to give a very accurate and detailed account of all the things that took place with the division of Alexander's kingdom, where the power went, and what was going to happen to Israel as a result. During the time of all this Greek influence that's going on, in this time of silence when nothing's going on, there was a lot of, of, of pressure among the Jews, and a party arose called the Hellenists, very eager to accept Grecian culture in and, and, and mix it together. And because of this, the Jewish people split into two parties. You know the names? Sadducees, the liberals, Pharisees, the conservatives. Both of them rebuked by Messiah when he came. We also know that during this time there was a young uh, a Jewish priest who rebelled against what was going on, married a Samaritan woman, went to Gerizim and built another temple on Mount Gerizim. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. All these things going on. Well, around this time, in Egypt... Under the reign of the Ptolemies, um, we see the scripture for the first time um, translated. In about 280 B.C., the Old Testament is translated into the Greek by 70 scholars. And that Old Testament is called 
the Septuagint. And if you notice, as we go through the New Testament, oftentimes you'll see quotations in the New Testament of Old Testament Scriptures that are different. They don't read the same as the Old Testament Scriptures. Slightly different. What's the difference? One is translated from the Greek Septuagint, and the Old Testament in Scripture is translated from the Hebrew. All of that taking place during 400 years while the Lord was silent. About 203 B.C., there was a fellow named Antiochus Epiphanes. He comes up on the scene. Now, he is a uh, king knucklehead. In fact, Daniel writes about him. He talks about him. He becomes a shadow or a symbol of the Antichrist. And he is in Egypt, and he's trying to, to conquer Egypt, and he's ruling with a hard, heavy hand over Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. And Jerusalem hears that Antiochus died, that he was killed in the war. So they throw this huge party. Just one problem. Antiochus didn't die. And they started to rebel over the the people that were placed in authority over them. So Antiochus hears about this rebellion and that they're partying because they think he's dead. So he is mad. He comes back to Jerusalem and he obliterates the Aaronic priesthood. That means there never again will be a high priest of the line of Aaron. He kills them all. Sets his own guy up in power. To offend the nation further, he goes and sacrifices a sow on the altar. Takes the blood and splashes it everywhere in the temple. All over the Holy of Holies. He, he, he does all of this to try to... to force the Jewish people into, into the stop rebelling against him. And all that occurs is a family called the Maccabees. They rise up, lead a rebellion, and gain peace. Or, or, or um, they get free of the Ptolemaic role. They get rid of Antiochus Epiphanes and... They write to a friend to help them. Because they're just a little country and Antiochus is pretty big and they're not sure they can keep control. So they write to this special place. It's a, it's a democracy. they got a senate. They wrote a letter to Rome and asked for Roman help. And from that day, through the birth of Christ in the early church, Rome ruled over Judea. 400 years, God wasn't talking, but a lot of things were happening, weren't they? A lot of things were going on. A lot of things were shifting. But all the while, listen, all the while, God is saying, look, my word is true. I told you in Malachi what's going to happen. Be ready. I, I, I bring it right around to us today because Jesus Christ has told us the same thing over and over and over again in Scripture. He has said, watch and be ready. The day is coming. Jesus Christ will come back. He's going to come back for you and me. He's going to come back to judge. He's going to come back to rule. There's a lot of things yet left on the horizon prophetically that Jesus Christ is going to do. But just like back then, when there was 400 years of silence, now there's been 2,000 years, and Peter said men will say, where is this coming of the Lord? Everything continues as it always has. God's not really coming back. Meanwhile, on the scene, we see all kinds of things moving and shifting to that time when Jesus Christ returns. Well, to remind us about it, in Luke chapter 1, before we get to what we read today, In verse 5 through 7 it says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias. Zacharias, a priest of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So you got this old priest going through, doing his duties, doing the thing, but God hadn't spoke. God hasn't talked for 400 years. Don't you want to know what the first thing God says is? 
Because he's about to talk. He's about to begin to speak. In fact, in verse 8, he says, So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, (coughs) standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah saw him. He was troubled, and fear fell upon him. That's Bible speak for he was freaking out. (laughs) No God, no light, nothing's been going on 400 years. Zechariah is pretty used to things being humdrum. So he goes in and he's he's offering uh, the incense, offering up the prayers. And as he does there beside the golden altar in the temple is Gabriel. God's going to start talking. Galatians 4.4 says that at just the right time, Christ the Messiah, that's what Christ means. Not Jesus' last name. Christ the Messiah was born. At just the right time. Oh man, so so Gabriel, he's there and he, he begins to speak. Listen to what he says. See if it sounds familiar to you. He says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Sound familiar? The last thing Malachi had to say is one of the first things Gabriel has to say. Your son's going to be that Elijah coming to prepare a people for their Messiah. For the one who can bring about that perfect peace. He says, well, how will I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. I'm always somewhat hesitant to ask for signs. Because sometimes you get a sign you're not expecting. That's what happens to Zacharias. How am I going to know this? How do I know you're really going to do what you're going to say you're going to do? So the angel doesn't say in Scripture he's mad. The angel just gives him a sign. You want a sign? Okay. So the angel answered and said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, here's what happened. He is mute and deaf. He is clothed in utter silence. Now you say, oh, that's not what it says, Jackie. Well, you've got to read the whole story, man. Verse 62. Don read it to you. How did the people talk to him? They signed. Why did they sign? Why didn't they just speak? Because he couldn't hear. Right? Don't make no sense to sign if he can talk. He's deaf and mute. He can't speak. He can't hear. I wonder what that like to, to have perfect silence for nine months. Uninterrupted silence. Nothing to interrupt your, your mind, but your constant thinking and seeking what God has just told you. See, that's the value of a fast. I don't think we'd make it nine months. But imagine all the things that became clear to Zacharias during nine months of utter and abject silence. The only voice he could hear was the voice of God speaking in his ear. After 400 years of silence, in verse 21 it says, The people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he waited so long in the temple. But when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. 
So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed for his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Nine months later, verse 57. Nine months go by. Zacharias and the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth. Isn't that what the scripture says? Now Elizabeth's full time came to be delivered. She brought forth a son just like Gabriel said. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. How'd she know? Well, careful, don't tell me Zacharias told her. He can't talk. Oh, he might have wrote it down. He might have wrote it down. I'll give you that. Makes you think though, don't it? She says, no, no, no. His name, his name is going to be John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives by this name. So they made signs to his father. That what he would have him called. So he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, everybody else got to hear the first words that God would speak to his people. As soon as Zacharias was was obedient in what the angel had told him, the son is born, he names him John, just like Gabriel had said, immediately his voice is going to be loose. And what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to prophesy. They had not heard the voice of a prophet in four hundred years. No word from God save the word he had already given them. Now God's going to speak. Yeah, that's what Christmas is about. God is going to speak. He's going to speak into a world that's sideways and upside down. And there's toil and, and turmoil all around the world. They were having all kinds of problems. And nobody finding a place of leadership. All sorts of corruption everywhere you turn. If you could have watched the news back then, I'm sure they had instances where police officers were being shot just like we have today. Where people are reacting due to race. So they don't. Maybe the race was different. They hated the Romans. Or the Romans hated them. Or they hated their Arabic brothers. Or their Arabic brothers hated them. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. The world carries on what it has always done. It's full of broken people who are so broken that all they know how to do is hurt one another. And when God is silent, when God doesn't speak, that's what happens in a world. Things get out of shape. Sideways. And then God speaks through an old man. Going to share the word of the Lord for those who are listening. It says, great fear fell upon them. And those who heard kept in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? Oh, not like any you'd ever seen before. In fact, Jesus said, of men born of women, there's none greater than John. The revelator. John the baptizer. Oh, he goes on. Verse 67 says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets, who have been since the world began. First He says, He has visited. Past tense. 
Isn't that crazy? He has visited. He knows that the Word of God is so sure. Now he speaks in terms of past tense. But we know if we read the spots I skipped over, that Elizabeth bumped into a, a little girl named... Oh, that's right. And Mary, when she walked up to Elizabeth, what did Elizabeth's baby do in her womb? He jumped. He leapt in her womb. Now, oh, come on. How can a baby know? Well, didn't you read? The Bible said that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Before he was born, he was anointed a prophet of God by the Holy Spirit. And he's not the only one. Happened several times in Scripture. Nonetheless, he says, He has visited us. But you know what? Nobody was looking for him that way. Everybody was looking for God on the white horse that we read about in Revelation chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and on. Everybody's looking for the return. Everybody's looking for the conquering hero. Everybody's looking for the the one who's going to set everything right. And nobody, nobody's looking for a baby that has to be fed and changed and taken care of. He has visited us. What did he say next? Not only has he visited us, but he has redeemed. Look. The Lord God, for He has visited and redeemed His people. Now, nothing's happened yet. The redemption hasn't occurred. The cross hasn't taken place, right? Except for when you come from the framework of God, because God said that from the foundation of the world, before the world was ever created, God had already died on a cross for mankind. It was set. He was going to do it. The minute He breathed life into Adam... Knowing Adam would fall, the, blow, the thing that blows my mind is not the, the concept sometimes we talk about that says, well, if God knew Adam was going to fall, why, why did he create him? Are you kidding me? If God knew Adam was going to fall and he was going to have to die on the cross, why did he create him? But before the foundation of the world, he was already dead. He already felt the marks on his back that as yet in time he was not wearing. He has redeemed His people. He has visited us. The little baby is here with us. And God has raised up a horn of salvation. The Scripture, horn always speaks of power, of might. God has raised up a horn of salvation. Now, sometimes people might think this could be just any old horn. So, well, well, let's settle that. It can't be any little horn because the Scripture tells us. In Psalm 132, verse 17, prophetically, the psalmist writes, There I will make the horn of David grow. The power of David is going to grow. What power of David? I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. Oh, you know what that word is in the Hebrew? The word anointed? It's the word Messiah. Mashiach. You know what that word is in the Greek? Christ. I will prepare a lamp for my Christ, for my Messiah. Who's the horn that's going to be raised up out of David? The horn raised up from David is going to be the Messiah. The horn of salvation. The one who has the power to save. But look, before we think that that's not going to be God, somehow that's something lesser than God, then we got to go to Psalm 18. In Psalm 18 verse 2, listen to what it says. It says, the Lord is my rock. Hey, you guys look at that. Capital L-O-R-D. It's up there, ain't it? Yeah. Capital L-O-R-D. You know what that means? Tetragrammaton. That's a proper name of God. Some people call Him Jehovah. Well, there's no J in, in Hebrew, so we're pretty sure it can't sound like that. But it could be Yehovah or Yahweh. It's the Yahweh, the Y-H-V-H. The Yahweh. That's Almighty God. Can't be nobody else. What's it say? The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I trust, my shield, and what else? The horn of my salvation. My stronghold. That's God Almighty. The horn of salvation throughout Scripture always refers 
to the Lord God Almighty. So, Zacharias begins his prophecy. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited, He has redeemed, and He's raised up a horn of salvation. Who's He going to raise up? He told us, the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? God Almighty. He goes on, back in Luke 1, verse 71, He says, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now the problem is, some of the people listening to Zacharias think, well, yeah, our biggest problem is Rome. Them knuckleheads. But before that, they would have said, our biggest problem is Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, But before that, they would have said, our biggest problem is Alexander. Oh, but before that, they would have said, our biggest problem is the Medo-Persian Empire or Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Why? Why does the problems, our biggest problems constantly change? If I ask you, what's your biggest problem? Whatever you're going through at the time, that's your biggest problem. My biggest problem is this struggle, and my struggles always change. But let me tell you this, your biggest problem never changes. Your biggest problem never changes. Their biggest problem never changed. What was their biggest problem? Sin. And the devil. Paul would write for us in Ephesians chapter 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What does that mean? That means my biggest problem is not man. It's not the guys who are upset about police violence. It's not the police who are, or some of the police who may be violent. It's not the people who are blowing it all out of proportion. It's not the people over there wearing the black robes or pajamas, running around with their funny flags. Our biggest problem is not any of those things. You want to see all those problems change, then you watch the sin problem be dealt with, and all of that will go away. So when he said, when Zacharias is saying in verse 71, that we would be saved from our enemies, the people here, we're going to get saved from Rome. But that's not our enemies. Our enemy is sin. That's what the Lord was saving us from. We see that clarified for us in 1 John 3.8. In 1 John 3.8, listen to what John writes. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Listen to this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. For this purpose, God came in the flesh, that He might destroy the works of the devil. When He says, He came to save us from our enemy in the hand of all who hate us, He's talking about the devil and sin. Isn't that what He came to do? To give us, to solve our biggest problem. The problem is we're so nearsighted, we think the biggest problem is our our bills or our debt or our illness or our sickness or our struggle. Those are our biggest problems. But the reality is our biggest problem is sin on the devil. And he came to deal with those things. Verse 72 of Luke 1, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He said he's going to perform the mercy promise. What mercy? God said, I'm going to have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'm going to have compassion on whom I'm going to have compassion. When we look at that idea, what mercy? What mercy has God given that He promised? Man's biggest problem is sin. And man can't deal with the sin problem. So we see this shadow built for us as God gives the law. And then he also gives the statute to say, here's what to do when you break the law. And all of that is a picture of the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who would pour out for you and I mercy. Getting what we don't deserve. Man, he's pouring out mercy, the promise he gave of old, the promise he gave to the fathers. In verse 73 it says, This oath which He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. What's this oath that He swore to to Abraham? What is the oath that He swore to father Abraham? Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, beginning about verse 16, you guys remember this is a story where Abraham offers up his son, 
uh, Isaac uh, as a sacrifice. God stops him, remember? The Lord stops him from bringing the knife down on his son, and he provides a lamb for him. Abraham names the place prophetically, Yahweh Yideh. God will provide himself. And then Abraham says, for in this mount, Mount Moriah, it will be provided. That mount went by a different name there in Rome. It was the mount upon which the temple was laid. But there was an area outside the city from the temple where they took the top of the mountain and they cut it off. And they quarried all the stone for which they would build with. That became the place where they would go and stone people. When somebody needed to be stoned, not that there was a shortage of rocks anywhere else, but you could go to the quarry, there's plenty of rocks down there. And so it got a name. Golgotha. The place of the skull. What was the promise? In verse 16 it said, God speaking to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, Because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants like the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants will possess the gate of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed, not plural, singular. One particular seed of the sons of Abraham. His name would be Jesus. And he was right now in incubation in Mary. Awaiting that day that we're going to celebrate on Wednesday, right? Awaiting that day when the promise of God would be birthed into the world. So this is the promise that God gave to Abraham, this promise that he lays out for him, the oath which he swore. For what purpose? To grant to us that we've been delivered from our greatest enemy, sin. Now we can serve God without fear. Now we can serve God. Listen, Romans 12.1, we just talked about it a few weeks ago. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So, he, he says, man, I, I'm, I'm going to keep the promise. God's keeping the promise. He hadn't even talked about his son yet. God's going to keep the promise. He's sending the Messiah, and he's going to give us the ability to serve God without fear. Why? Because he's going to justify us. He's going to sanctify us. He's going to glorify us. He's going to save us. That's what he's declaring. That's what the first words God has to say to His people. Verse 76, He says, And you, now He's speaking to His Son. He's looking, and you can picture Him. He's prophesying, He's talking about Messiah, about the Christ who's coming, and then He looks at His Son. That little baby, His wife, holding Him, perhaps nursing Him. And He says, And you, child, will be the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord and prepare His way to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. All the way through, if they were paying attention, they would understand. Our greatest enemy is not Rome. Our greatest enemy is sin. Our greatest enemy is the devil. Our greatest enemy is that which is causing us to fall and stumble. And Jesus Christ has come to set us free from that greatest enemy. He looks at His Son and He says, You're going to be the prophet to the highest. You're going to prepare the way. How are you going to do it? You're going to give people the knowledge of salvation. Salvation is coming. And how is it going to come? By the remission of your sin. God's going to take away your brokenness. Man, that's great news. Great. Great news. He's going to prepare the hearts of the people. Isn't that what Malachi said? He's going to change the hearts of the father. He's going to change the hearts of their children. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. In verse 78, he says, Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Man, it's interesting because people argue over that word all the time. Day spring, what's that mean? What's he talking about? The, the words are... are, um, are, are uh, 
idiomatic, which means it's like a figure of speech. It's hard to point to. Like we would say sunrise, or when the sun dawns, or, or different idioms or figures of speech that we might use. The problem is, this same one's used in Malachi. Were you listening when we read it? Verse 2, Malachi 4. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. What is it that Zechariah said? Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. The Son of Righteousness is here. He's here. The mercy of God. It's, it's time. It's the time. It's the time for Messiah. It's the time for salvation. It's a time of hearts to be turned toward the Lord. And in verse 79, he says, For what purpose? To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Wow, we got men all over the planet arguing about how to accomplish that. And we have in history, let's just for the sake of argument go with 6,000 years of written history. We have all kind of peace plans, all kinds of treaties, all kinds of attempts at experiencing peace and having peace. We've tried a number of ways. It's funny because we're still trying the same ways. We think that the guy with the most power can make it safe. If you just got a guy who's honorable, who's more powerful than everybody else, he'll just stand and everybody will toe the line. Just one problem. Yeah, it don't happen. All you got to do is get married and have a child to realize that's not going to work. What do you mean, Jackie? My children instantly obey me. Yeah, it's church. You're not supposed to lie in here. No, no, really. They, they obey. They obey. Well, the whole time they're obeying, even if they are obeying in their mind, this is what they're thinking. This is the dumbest thing I've ever had to do in my life. You know how I know that? Because that's what you were thinking when your daddy told you the same stuff. Oh, this is so dumb. Nope. I'm actually getting old enough to where I start believing the lies I tell myself. Oh, no, I never told my dad that. Oh, that's the point. I didn't say it. I was saying it in my head. But here's the news. God hears inside your head. And it counts. Oh, you didn't know that? Sermon on the Mount. Read it. There's some really interesting things in there about the things God counts. Man, he said that a light was coming to help us in the darkness. You know how many times the scripture describes us as darkness? We can't make peace. I don't care what laws you pass. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. That people shouldn't be held accountable for what they do that's wrong. I'm just saying there can be no peace till the Prince of Peace rules and reigns in the hearts of all men. Until then, there's no peace. That's why when the angels announced the birth of Christ, they said, I bring you good tidings, great joy, that shall be to all men. Prince of Peace has come. And if you let him... Rule and reign in your heart. There will be peace. Between you and God. There will be peace. Don't you see that as the first Christmas message? Zacharias looking at his son. A light is coming. A light. We read about it in Isaiah. Another prophet like Malachi. In Isaiah 9-2 it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. You ever feel like that's where you live? The 23rd Psalm, Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it seems like we spend a lot of time in that valley, don't it? 
But the scripture says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Who? Well, he told us in the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. What's, how's that Lord spelled? Capital L-O-R-D. So who's my shepherd? God Almighty. The Lord God Almighty, Jehovah, Yahweh, is my shepherd. What did Jesus say in John 10? I am the good shepherd. Oh, he didn't really mean he was God. Now we got to back up. Uh, you remember that guy who came to Jesus and said, Good teacher. You remember what Jesus said to him? Nobody's good but God. Why do you call me good? So, since that was Jesus' own definition, what do you think he's saying when he calls himself good shepherd? And what do you think the people think of when he calls himself the shepherd? You don't think they knew Psalm 23? You don't think they sang it every couple of days when they come to church? You don't think they read it at funerals like we do today? We just started that, right? The Lord is my shepherd. When Jesus stood up and said, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep, he is declaring himself to be the light that is dawning in the darkness in the place of the shadow of death to show us the way to salvation. In fact, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So if we're going to have light, where does it come from? Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says that we were once darkness, but now we are the light. Let us walk as children of the light. Jesus Christ leads us from the darkness to the light. Do you know Jesus gave a Christmas message? No? He did. John chapter 8, you can read about it. It's called the Feast of Dedication. You ever heard of that? No Jewish people here? The Feast of Dedication goes by another name. Any guesses? Hanukkah. You heard of Hanukkah? When does that happen? Christmas time, you're kidding me. It happens at Christmas time? Sure enough. Do you know what Jesus said at Christmas time? At the high day, uh, after, the day after the Feast of Lights, the dedication was over. Hanukkah was finished, you know, the candle. They would light the candles, symbolizing the victory God gave the nation of Israel during the time of the Maccabees. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Jesus stood up after the big giant menorah had burned itself out. And the celebration's over. You can imagine what it looked like there in front of the temple. Trash all over the floor, you know, people scattered around. You know what it looks like after a big old crazy all-night party, right? And all these people kind of, you know, coming back to life after all that night's festivities because they had the light, the big candle out. And Jesus stood before that giant menorah and he said, I am the light of the world. He who comes to me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Just like Zechariah said, we come to this time of year and we think of all the other signs and symbols of this season. And we forget the purpose of the whole season was to save you from your sins. To provide a sacrifice for you that you could be right with God. That you don't have to walk in darkness. That you can have the light of life. Messiah came to do all those things. It's as though God said this. If you aren't able to hear my voice and the things that have been made. And you've begun to wonder whether this cosmos, this universe can communicate who I am. Then watch this. Watch me wear creation like a garment. No more... Let me do more than that. Watch me, the Creator, become a creature. Watch me take on the trappings and the limitations of man. 
I'll join myself to this world. I'll shrink myself to the size of an embryo. Then I'll grow until I fill a womb. Then I'll burst forth out of the womb. And I'll keep growing in wisdom and stature until I'm big enough to walk among the sons of the earth. I'll grow until I'm big enough to hang, big enough to die, big enough to fill a tomb. Then I'll burst forth out of the tomb. I won't stop there. I'll keep growing and growing and I'll fill the hearts of men and I'll fill the minds of men and I'll fill their bodies until you read the same story in the stars, until you hear the heavens sing and the earth reply, until you taste honey and then taste and see that the Lord is good. I will keep growing until I fill all in all. That's the only thing on this earth that will ever satisfy, that will not grow old, He is the one who becomes everything we need. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity as we stand before you the last Sunday before Christmas. The world has hijacked much of the celebration, but we understand that the purpose of the Christmas story is the redemption of men. Jesus came to die so that He might take our brokenness. So that He would make a way for us. So that He could make a way that we would approach the Father to deal with our biggest problem, which is a problem of sin. Our biggest problem is that rebellion, that brokenness inside. And when we ask Him to be in Lord and Savior of our life, He moves in and He fixes my brokenness. He makes me whole. The Lord declares to us in the Gospel of John that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish have everlasting life. All throughout the gospel, the message of Christmas is sacrifice is made. Child was born to take your sin away. And all we have to do is receive that gift. All we have to do is place our faith and trust in Him that He has done the work that He is the light, that He takes me out of the darkness, that I was once dead in trespasses and sin, but God has made me alive together in Him. Um, message of Christmas is not, what can I get? But what God has given me. And if I truly come to understand that, I will be able to enjoy all the gifts that He's given on this earth. And I will have a word for Him who asked me for a reason for the hope that is in me. Because Jesus Christ is my hope. He's my reason for this season. As God was silent 400 years and now we look at the time in our past and maybe we feel the same way. God is silent. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 it says, The Lord who at various times and in various places has spoken to us through the prophets has in these last days now spoken to us by His Son. God has told us everything He has to say. In Jesus Christ. Now the choice is ours. Will we receive what He is offering? 
God, I pray during this time, hearts would be turned toward the Father. Hearts of the children and hearts of fathers and hearts of mothers. That they would be turned toward you. That we would understand the role of salvation, not to save us from the Romans in our life, but from the greatest enemy, sin and death, the devil. God, that we would recognize that you have a perfect work to accomplish in our life, and you did it in such an amazing and strange way. You came to bear our brokenness, to nail it to a cross, to kill it so that we could be set free, set free from the written requirements of the law, set free in Christ. That we could be exactly what you're asking us to be. So that we might hear the voice of the angels sing. Glad tidings. To all men. Jesus is here. And he has made a way for us. God I pray in this place. Not a soul would leave that has not made peace with you. And as we close out in a word of worship, that that we would take that opportunity as elders and as prayer counselors are available up front. If the Lord is speaking to your heart that you need to make a decision for Him, I just want to invite you to come. Speak, pray with your brother or sister up front. Today is the day. Now is the time. Don't let the day pass. That you might enjoy the perfect Christmas this year. And the power and the glory of the greatest gift ever given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.